Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies and what they mean to us. I'm your host, Kristen Lighty, and tonight I'm super excited on this rainy, spooky evening to have one of my very favoritest people, uh, Milwaukee comedian, fantastic human. It's Caitlin McCarthy. Hello. Hi. Hello. And you may, you may remember like- Caitlin a while back where you talked about hereditary pre-pandemic. Hmm. So long ago. Remember then? <laughs> I would. I wish we could say post-pandemic, yeah. but it's really not. Uh, <laughs> but no, we're still very much in it. So yeah. Uh, but for those of you who maybe you know are newer to the podcast, Caitlin, why don't you tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do? My name is Kayla McCarthy, as previously stated. I am a comic in the city of Milwaukee. Um, although in recent years, my performing has kind of taken a step back to, uh, this is new since the last time, the club wasn't even a concept. So yeah. I am one of the co-owners of The Laughing Tap, which is Milwaukee's only independently owned and run uh, comedy club. And we are in Walker's Point on Fifth Street. So if you are in the area, please come see comedy shows there because it is important that we stay open. (laughs) Give them all your money. Um, I love the Laughing Tap. I love performing there. I love it. You know, just as a venue, you can really tell that it is a place run by comics because it's so thoughtful, you know, and I really feel like you are one of the few, if not only places to actually prioritize safety during COVID. Um, You know, the Laughing Tap had mask requirements, capacity caps, vaccine requirements, like I felt really good about being there. That was the only place I really performed for quite a long time. So thank you for caring about people. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I think it helped that we really needed the money. (laughs) That sounds really bad, but like, you know, we were, uh, we opened right before the pandemic started. So if we didn't keep going in some way, um, we would not be here today. So Um, We had to find ways to make it safe for everybody involved, not just the people coming to the shows, but the comics performing and, um, and our staff. So, you know, we, we did our best to follow the, uh, the rules and some people really liked it. Some people really didn't like it, but you know what? I don't care if you really didn't like it. Uh, The feedback was mostly really good. So, and people felt safe there. So. Yeah, definitely. And I loved the virtual shows because, you know, I could be on my couch in Green Bay on a Friday night and see like Dulce Sloan. And that was so cool. Yeah, that that's something that I wish we would have continued with that a little bit longer. But it like we are a very small group of us. And, you know, one of my partners, Matt Kempel, he was the one who was setting up the live stream before every show. And that was a lot of work for him. And, you know, it I think we had on average, maybe four or five people every live stream, oh. which is great for those four or five people, but like, it wasn't a huge moneymaker for us. <laughs> yeah, 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 that, that <laughs> sounds like a, a trade-off of time and resources that isn't quite legit. So that makes sense. I guess right. I will drive to Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I must. Hmm. 
So, you know, uh, given that you are someone who I bond with over all things spooky, you know, I kind of already know, um, <laughs> but I know you love horror. What have you been into lately? Oh man. Um, I don't know. Like lately it's honestly been like true life horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I've in the last like year, I've really hit like a weird fascination with September 11th. Oh, I can't, I can't explain it. I have no idea why. Um, but it's just like hearing stories about the day and like, I've read a couple of books and it's, uh, I don't know what it is, but that's, yeah, I mean, that is a horrifying day, a horrifying event. And, um, I think, you know, maybe horror movies just weren't doing it for me anymore. So I needed to look at real life tragedy, but, um, it's probably has to do with mental illness, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> related to mental illness at all times. But, um, no, I, let's see, I like reading about that. Well, I don't like it. That's a very wrong word to use, but I'm just, I'm fascinated by the, the stories of survival. I guess I haven't thought about historical horror as its own genre before. But yeah, that's scary as hell. Yeah, I, I don't like I said, I'm not sure what it is that kind of brought me back to it. Um, I think it's probably I feel like we're far enough away from it that I <laughs> I did start to write a joke about it, but I have no idea when I would ever put it in. I did it at an open mic and it was pretty successful, but um, I've <laughs> gotten into watching like, like documentaries while I'm working just because it it helps me get through the day more, you know, it's basically, <laughs> I don't really watch them. I kind of just listen to them, but you know, I've been watching like nine 11 documentaries while I'm at work. <laughs> I always say, uh, Oh man, what was the line? It's been so long since I've done it now. Um, I'd rather, um, never forget than have to remember where I am <laughs> or something like that. it's a really funny joke Um, yeah (laughs) but I do I do yeah like that like I miss doing mics where it's like the majority of the audience is comics and then you just like lay into the darkest jokes you've ever thought of exactly I miss that yeah so um yeah but other than that like actual horror films I don't know I'm just I'm I think Shutter just started their like 61 days of Halloween or something. And they're doing like a, like a revamp of the 101 scariest movie moments. Um, I don't know if you remember that show that like Bravo did in like the early two thousands where it was like a countdown show of like the scariest movie it's on, it's all on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Like it's because of that show that like I watched a bunch of like, um, Asian horror movies, like older horror movies, like just genres, Italian horror movies that like I never would have watched if it wasn't for that countdown. And yeah, it it was really good. (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I just saw Barbarian the other day. And how is that? So good. I cannot enough and I will never stay at an Airbnb again. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, Yeah, I was I saw a trailer for that. And I'm like, that looks really good. Um, yeah, I, I really, yeah, I I guess I am trying to read more horror too. 
Um, but I'm such a, I'm not a very good reader, but I've got a couple books that are, uh, that are like in my possession that are on my list. So need to read. Nice. Yeah. I love, I just, I love this time of year. It feels like it's time, you know? Yes. Oh yeah. You know, normally I ask people what their first horror movie is that they remember seeing, but we already did that. So like, I know that, um, you actually have watched quite a bit of horror with your mom, if I'm not wrong. Right. What's the favorite mom watching movie experience with horror? I think, um, okay. There's a couple that come to mind. The first one is when we saw the conjuring in theaters, that was legit. One of the scariest movies I had ever seen until that moment. I was just like on the pod. I was so excited, like at how good and scary that movie was. And it was just, yeah. So I, you know, varying degrees of success with the subsequent films, but um, I've enjoyed all of them in like the, the conjuring universe, you know, um, love me some Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, <laughs> fake Ed and Lorraine Warren though. I Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. I love them so much. <laughs> the real Ed and Lorraine Warren, not cool. Yeah. <laughs> and not that hot, <laughs> not hot enough, <laughs> not hot. Um, but then the, the other one I remember is when it was my mom, my friend Jesse and I, we went to go see The Descent in a movie theater when that came out. And first of all, the experience of sitting in that movie theater and feeling so incredibly claustrophobic, like I had never felt that before, but there was one moment in particular, which I was very surprised because it's a moment that they show in the trailer um, were like, they're swinging the camera around and all of a sudden like one of those creatures is behind one of the girls. And then it's just like this big freak out moment. Like my mom legit screamed (laughs) in the movie theater and then scared the poop out of the, one of the girls sitting in front of us. And then we all just like laughed for like the next five minutes. And it was, (laughs) that is one of my favorite movies because I've never seen that happen to my mom while watching a movie and it was just a really fun experience to have <laughs> that sounds awesome uh yeah. the descent man that movie freaked me out like i don't like yes. small spaces in caves and then you add water and monster nah get out of here with that no, no. nightmares <laughs> total yeah. nightmare. i'm not a not a fan of tight spaces <sighs> uh okay So for tonight to talk about, Caitlin has chosen uh, a movie I am so excited to talk about, and I'm really shocked that no one has picked it yet. We are going to talk about the autopsy of Jane Doe. So, yes. So this movie, if you haven't seen it, you know, it was on Netflix for a long time. It's moved over to Amazon. And uh, it's the story of a father-son team who come from a a family tradition of... uh, undertakers were they more what are they called more coroners coroners more, more yes. something like that yeah coroners that is the word i'm looking for <laughs> and they have a jane doe come to the uh office and they as they begin the autopsy strange things begin to happen and you know we go full spoilers on bloody mary so if you haven't seen it turn off right now uh, but 
ultimately this cadaver somehow is creating havoc around the um the morgue and ends up killing the cat the girlfriend the dad the boyfriend everybody everybody's dead and then she's moving on to kill others apparently as a corpse and i just gotta say olin Catherine kelly wow the role of a lifetime like <laughs> honestly i think she is Emil Hirsch and Brian Cox are wonderful in this movie and like such a likable pair. But honestly, I don't know if she could have won an award for that performance, but like I I had to read up. And one of the reasons that she was hired, they actually wanted to use like a dummy, Mm -hmm. but they're, they worry that a, it wouldn't look real enough and it would be harder for um, Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch to like engage with it. And it would, it would just be better if it was a real person. And yeah, I guess she was like a, a yoga expert. So she's like really good at being still for long periods of time <laughs> or she's just like in total control of her body, which is amazing. But yeah, I, it was absolutely crazy to me. She was, yeah, standout, absolute standout. Yeah. Not a single line and played dead <laughs> for like an hour and a half. Wild. Absolutely yeah. wild. Part of me wondered too, like, cause I've heard that, you know, uh, with SAG contracts, you get so much money based on your lines. And I was like, oh no, what if she got no money? (laughs) (laughs) They have to make, I mean, she probably, I don't know. Do you get extra money for being nude? Like the whole time for being nude, you know, showing off the goods. (laughs) I hope, I hope you got paid well. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So what made you want to pick this movie? I remember seeing it a while ago and it just, it creeps me out. Like I, it's again, that, um, a little bit of a claustrophobic energy because, um, not only is it, um, it's not really a funeral home. It's kind of just like a morgue, I guess. Um, it's in the basement it's underground. And so that's already kind of just like, Oh, they're trapped, you know? Uh, and I, you know, already spoilers, witches. I don't feel like witches are done well in movies, but I think, I, I don't know when the witch came out. It had to be around there too, but I feel like Autopsy of Jane Doe and the witch were kind of like a one-two punch of really solid witchcraft movies that came out. Um, and we, we just don't see that genre enough in my opinion, or if there are which ones and I just haven't seen them. Tell me. (laughs) No, I agree. I I say you're entirely correct. Portraying a strong female villain is rare. I feel like. Yes. And, and that's why I love this movie so much is that Jane Doe is like the ultimate villain controlling everything, but you never suspect her. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I really loved that. It it sucked because like, you know, in a way though, you are rooting for her because she's <laughs> yeah. had all these horrible things happen to her. Like she was accused of being a witch and it's believed, or at least they made the assumption that she wasn't a witch, but because of all these awful things that happened to her, it she kind of just 
became one with her witchiness. Um, and now she, she takes it out on everybody who's like defiling her body. And these two guys are just doing their job, you know, trying to figure out how she died. And now she's like taking all of her pain out on them when you're really just like, but they're nice. You know, they seem like a, a lovely pair. Don't, don't do this to them. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, feminism. <laughs> Girl boss. <laughs> Girl boss. No, I mean, you bring up, uh, you know, one of the themes that really jumped out in the movie is this idea that, you know, the rituals performed on an innocent created the very thing they were trying to destroy. Right. So like, even when the dad is trying to make a deal with her, like, I know what you've been through. I know it's terrible. Take me. Don't take my son. Yeah. Like she is so scorned and far gone that she's not about any deal. She wants to kill all of them. She doesn't care. Yeah. No mercy. Yeah. I think that really does speak to people who, you know, life is just beating them down so bad. They can no longer feel empathy. Yeah. I mean, it's, she's showing them the same amount of mercy that was shown to her, which was none, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, you know, if memory serves me about the Salem witch trials, like if you confessed you were a witch, you were put to death. And if you said you weren't a witch, you were put through a bunch of tests that, um, you know, would kill you. And then you're like, okay, I guess you're not a witch, but you're dead. So (laughs) it's like, there's, she really didn't stand a chance when this first happened to her and, you know, she's taking lives now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, do you think she's trying to reanimate herself? Like, cause like, that's one thing that looking into it more, there's no movement in her body, which by the way, every time they were like, cutting into her and like examining something, they would do like a hard cut back to her face how many times did you think she was going to blink or scream or twitch? It was so eerie because there was none of that. Mm-hmm. You know, every time you just see her piercing, like gray blue eyes. And then, yeah. And then at the end of the movie, like you get a toe twitch. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, Oh yeah. Is she going to, is she trying to bring herself back to life with the lives that she's killed? And maybe, you know, it, she didn't get back. I don't know. I don't know. It's that's what I'm trying to think of now. And I'm like, Oh, are we going to get a sequel? That'd be dope. <laughs> yeah. I hope she can reanimate herself. Cause my God, what a terrible life that would be for eternity. Yeah. Like you're basically human furniture. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I thought about that a lot too. The idea of like eternity and like just existing forever sounds so exhausting. Exactly. And like, you know, everything that she did to them, it was all um, like psychological and projections. She, she never once got up and did anything. It was, you know, they thought they might've seen her, but it wasn't her. It was all in their head. And uh, yeah, I just, I think it was so creepy. I don't know. I loved it. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing, I love the dad so much, like, uh, Michael Cox, that's his name, right? Brian Cox. Brian Cox. Yes. He 
like I just kind of imagine him as the dad from Succession too. Like I, I don't do well <laughs> at separating characters, but he was so sweet. And yeah. His, you know, when he was talking about Jane Doe and all the torment she experienced, and he said there were no witches in Salem; they were all innocent. <laughs> yep. But now a witch is killing him in a basement. So (laughs) what do you think that means? What are they trying to say? This idea that maybe they're not all innocent or I don't know. I think it's like you said previously, you know, the, the people who are trying to suss out the, the witches, they may have, you know, if you, what is it? Hell hath no fury, like a woman scorned, you know, Mm -hmm. like, she was probably a perfectly fine person, never got into any trouble. I mean, you know, problem was she was probably a young, attractive woman. And they're like, well, she's obviously a witch. Um, so, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I just listened to um, the last podcast on the left. They just did, I think, like a three or four episode series on the Salem witch trials. So this also got me thinking about this movie again. Um, and yeah. And like none of these women, they were just accused by children. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, not that I'm saying you should never believe anything a child says, but they were taking a lot of things children were saying to heart and killing people with children's stories. And like, that's just, I mean, what a terrifying time to be alive for a woman for several reasons. Not like but- now. <laughs> <laughs> that's true fair. Um, but yeah, like I, I'd like to think that if somebody said that I was, I mean, Hey, witches are real now. They just collect crystals and read tarot cards and that's fine. You know? Well, you know, (laughs) our, our recent political landscape does make me think about this a lot as well, because as everybody knows, Roe versus Wade was overturned, but in Wisconsin, we know, I know. I'm sorry to bring this up. Uh, but in Wisconsin, we went to back, we reverted to a trigger law that was from like 1840 and it bans abortion. And I haven't read the rest of it, but I'm just kind of shocked that our state legislature looked at a law from like 1840 and was like, yeah, sounds good. Good enough. Uh, you know, like God knows. I mean, what else is in there? Um, you know, as a single woman, I want to continue to own property in Wisconsin. Not right. sure if that's going to fly if Evers doesn't win in November. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> I seriously don't think that our state legislature would be that concerned with witch burning. Like, <laughs> truly, I mean, they don't think we go to school for you know, gender studies and witchcraft. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is it like gender fluid horse dancing or something they were talking gender, about? Gender, uh, lesbian, gender fluid dancing. I don't know. Oh, that was my minor. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just, I, I also really like this movie because of, yeah, like what it says about women. It's just, you know, this woman, she was just, she had the ultimate horrors committed upon her. And, you know, they, I mean, they didn't just like, I mean, they burned her, they cut out her tongue. They, I mean, I, 
there was also like stuff done to her genitals too. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, that's, it's just horrifying. Like the list of things that happened to her, like she had, you know, a cloth with a tooth in it and like, what was it? Jimson weed or something in her body. And it's yeah. Like just, it's very in your face metaphorical about how women are treated. And maybe if you're not careful, it'll come back to bite you. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely the message and take it all and still remain pretty, you know, gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, that was really terrifying to think about like how much trauma she experienced, but you know, we didn't see any of it on the outside. Yeah. It it was just horrifying enough to hear them talk about it and, you know, just recall it as they're looking at her body. And I think that is also, you know, an incredible thing about the body is that your body tells stories like, you know, all sorts of trauma that's happened to you, you are left with scars and you're left with bruises, but you know, none of hers showed on the outside, but it was all still inside. And, you know, I think that's also kind of a beautiful statement about, you know, to use the old phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. You don't know what's going on in somebody, you know, you might not be able to see their scars, but they have them. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I love this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. It also makes me think of that, like how we use makeup. Like I would, oh, when I drank, I would always wear makeup when I was super hungover because I wanted to like deflect, you know? Yes. And it reminds me of that Maria Bamford joke where her mom would be like, when you don't wear makeup, you look mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we have some, uh, you know, learn defense mechanisms with our appearance as well. Or at least I did, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the I one thing I had to look up because uh, my my Bible studying days are long past. Um, Ooh, I like, didn't know you were a scholar. <laughs> yeah. Um, kindergarten through 12th grade, I had a Bible beaten over my head. Uh, <laughs> yeah so the bible verse that they found that was written on this cloth is from everyone's favorite chapter of the bible leviticus 20 so leviticus 20 is also the one that people use to claim that homosexuality is um, an abomination and just it's a horrible it's a horribly written uh book it's a horribly translated book we'll say that um but yeah like the the verse i, I can't remember what version of the i got this from but it says a man also a man also or woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death they shall uh stone them with stones their blood shall be upon them. Um, just <laughs> wizards. It's kind of adorable. That's like Harry Potter. Makes it That's why I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter when I was in grade school. Oh, really? Um, but mm-mm, not at all. Oh, wow. And it sucks because I probably would have read more as a kid if I was allowed to read Harry Potter in the seventh grade. But no, it's about the devil. Oh, which really, it's just another retelling of Jesus and a savior. Like it's. Anyways, I'm not totally 
<laughs> upset about that for me. I never had any restrictions on reading. It was always, oh, here's a Stephen King book. Go have fun. You know? <laughs> oh man. No, Stephen King scared me. I, I would do R.L. Stein from time to time, but uh, no, Stephen King was horrifying to me because of when I saw it uh, when I was probably like six years old. So, <laughs> but yeah, I um, I looking at that Bible verse, I just it it brings me back to nowadays where you know, obviously everything back in, in Salem was very biblically based, but you know, nowadays when people are using their faith as a weapon to, um, cause real human trauma, (laughs) um, you know, like you mentioned Roe v. Wade, and now there's talks about doing away with marriage equality and allowing, gay people to adopt children and even just, uh, health insurance companies paying for prep for people. People are trying to say that that infringes on their religious freedom because it promotes uh, deviant sexuality. Like, yeah. But even though that the largest demographic of Americans with HIV is black women, it has nothing to do with gay people. I mean, yes, gay people get HIV, but it's you're completely shitting on another group of people just because of what you read in a book that one time, you know, it's so stupid. And also, first of all, you didn't read it in a book. There's nowhere in the Bible. Does it say any of that stuff where, you know, I, I still don't know if this documentary came out, but there's a, I can't remember what it was called, but there's, I follow it on TikTok. They're still trying to get like funding for it, but it's a movie about how like in the forties, I believe there was like a, a, um, they retranslated the Bible, um, and basically like put the word homosexual in there. And it wasn't supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be like a man should not lie with a boy. Uh, Basically it was about pedophilia, not homophobia. So, um, yeah, it the word homosexual was never in the Bible. Um, you know, what's interesting but, too is um, like the Ten Commandments were never really at courthouses until the Charlton Heston movie came out, and then the production company bought them for a bunch of city halls. Like it just came from Hollywood. Cool. Oh man, yeah, it's, it's so wild. yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I. One thing though, that I'm getting back to the movie, you know, the Bible verse mentions uh, a familiar spirit and like, which has had familiars, uh, which is basically like a, forgot what it really is, but basically it's an animal. That's why like witches are always pictured like with cats. Uh, she killed a damn cat in this movie. Oh yeah. I did not care for Stanley being killed. That was that, that is the, uh, if this movie is a 10 out of 10, it is a nine out of 10 because of killing Stanley. I, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just causing again, inflicting the most pain possible on these two men, because, you know, that cat was pretty much the last thing they had with the mom Yeah, because that was her cat. And, um, yeah, they, and they allude to like the mom having died of suicide, which is, full and yeah man that was that was like a huge bummer I mean obviously there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's kind of a bummer but 
<laughs> seeing a cat kill and having the father like have to kill the cat to put it out of its misery too. Like that's horrifying. Yeah. It made the scene. Um, I, I felt like it was, it was beautiful and meaningful, but like, so sad. Like I bawled during this movie, like when we had to kill Stanley and then, uh, when Austin killed his dad to put him out of his misery, yes. like, Oh my God, that was just like gut-wrenching and I feel like you know I didn't know these characters incredibly well but I feel like there was such a strong sense of love between them and the sense of mentorship in you know like even though Austin didn't want to be a coroner like he was still doing it for his dad for sure I mean and he right at the beginning he postpones a date with his girlfriend to stick around with his dad and help his dad's like, no, 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 go. And he's, you know, he sticks around to help his dad, you know, whether it's just, he wants to spend more time with his dad or he is really interested in this case, or, you know, he, I don't know what it, you know, what the ultimate um, drive behind that decision was, but, you know, he decided to stay behind and, you know, you kind of think of the coulda, woulda, shouldas, you know, if he wouldn't have gone, you know, his, this would have all just happened to his dad. And yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the big things that jumped out at me is this idea of the father and son, they go back and forth a lot between like the son wanting to know like root causes, actual causes, why things happened. And the dad very much being like, nope, you, uh, we don't look into the why we leave that to the cops and the shrinks and we just figure out what actually happened to them, not who did it or why. And, uh, I feel like that's an internal argument I have on a daily basis. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) Yes. I am always one who I need to know why, why is this happening? Why not only what happened, why did this happen? Um, and you know, that I also attribute to my mental illness. I mean, I overthink everything just because like everything needs to have a reason, you know, and most times there is no reason. It just is, you know? Um, But yeah, I I really like that too, because, you know, as somebody who's been into true crime for a while and, you know, there was a point in my life where I wasn't finding a job in my field. And I was just like, you know, I think I want to be like a funeral director or mortician. And I want to, you know, work with dead bodies. But then I was just like, I don't know if I could ever do what they were doing. I mean, yeah, they're, they're more medical examiners and like actually cutting into the bodies like that. You have to definitely go to like, what, what's that called? Medical school. Mm-hmm. Do you think <laughs> you, have to you go could to- do it? Could you do it? Oof. Um, the thing that always freaks me out, and I've seen this in a couple of movies now, uh, is where they, they the head, the skin of the head flaps over the face mm, yeah. for the skull. Um, that freaks me out more than anything, uh, because it literally, that's where it starts to feel like we're all just like sacks of skin over a skeleton. And I just, <laughs> it's, blech. I mean, I don't know. I, I think... No, I don't think I could. Could I be like a mortician? Probably. I think that's a little, I think that's different. 
you know, where it's more just like getting them ready and doing the, the draining and the stuff mm-hmm. uh, and then making them presentable. But I, I also think that the, the cases that they had in house in the movie, <laughs> like three of the worst you possibly could have had, like a burn victim, a shotgun to the face. And a witch that wants to kill you. Well, and what so. was going on with the lady with the sewed up eyes and mouth? That I have no idea. I. Did, yeah, they never really got into that, did they? They did not. But she was scary. <laughs> she was very scary. Like, was that like a, I don't know. Like, do I have anything in my notes about that? Yeah, I couldn't imagine like needing, like that being medically necessary to do to someone. Right. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that makes no sense. Uh, uh, I really liked about the opening of the movie when we're meeting the family and their business is just this juxtaposition of the ordinary with the very brutal. Like they're looking at this burned corpse and like, it just made me think about how everything is normal for somebody else. Like you and I would be like, totally like, blah. And it's yeah. just like, oh, time to clock in. <laughs> like, yes. Somebody's entire day is looking at dead bodies. Well, my entire day is uh, looking at shipping documentation. Like it's mm-hmm. what is what is your life? <laughs> like, it makes no <laughs> sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I could be like a coroner or a funeral director. Although the quiet would probably be amazing <laughs> yes absolutely but then I, I know I would freak freak myself out that yeah that oh. is 100 guaranteed for sure yeah I think dad had such a good sense of humor about it though with the bells and the bells you know. yeah like he was and I, I <laughs> yeah like I I think you know you he just had fun with it obviously that wasn't supposed to serve any real purpose in their lives but it ended up serving a purpose <laughs> more than they knew. So, but yeah, I, I really love that because, you know, that shows he also has an appreciation for the history of his occupation too. Yeah. And, you know, Austin said he didn't want to be a coroner, but like he's been doing it for two years. He's gone to school for a long time and he wanted to be there that night to see what was up with that body the yeah. sheriff brought in. Like, I think he likes it. I think he really enjoyed it, you know, because, you know, there were always, he still wanted the answers to the questions. And I think, you know, he, he, they were looking at the burn victim and, you know, he kind of didn't figure it out by himself. Mm-hmm. So maybe he just wanted another shot at it that night. Like Ooh, he was just yeah. like in the zone. And so maybe that's dad. why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the saddest things about this film is the idea that the mother is gone And now like Austin is there trying to, you know, be there for his dad who is now facing life alone. And, you know, I, I used to think, I don't know. I feel like when I lose a parent, I will lose my shit. Absolutely. But I think I'm more sad about thinking about the other parent without their partner. 
I don't know. It was very, this film, it felt a lot sadder watching it this time around that I knew the reveals and everything, you know? Yeah, it's definitely, like I said, you know, it, she, uh, Jane is doing what she's got to do. I can't be mad about it, but I am mad with her selection of victims. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's just like a, another thing that you find in, in horror movies lately is that there's no real happy endings anymore. I don't feel like if there's, if there's a resolution, it tends to be a very somber ending um, where, you know, yeah, you could totally look at it like, ah, Jane's continuing on to, you know, stick it to the man, but then also this really lovely family, and this completely innocent girlfriend were murdered <laughs> mm-hmm. and they did nothing, you know, they did nothing other than their job and showing up for a date, you know? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, to like reflect on what you said, uh, can confirm, uh, you feel a lot less sad about losing the parent and the worry for the one that's still here. Definitely definitely picks up. Um, you know, I think, um, in my case, especially when my dad passed away, he was in the hospital for so long before he died. And like, literally every day, the doctors are like any day now, any day now. And he just, he kept sticking around. So like, you know, I'm less worried about him. I'm more like, come on, you know, you're kind of, no offense, but you're kind of putting us through it, you know? Um, but yeah. And, and it, I remember my mom, my mom, my grandma also said to me, like, you know, you got to be there for your mom because people forget the widow. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, that won't happen. But it definitely happened with some of my parents' friends, which was very unfortunate, but, um, but yeah, like, I mean, in this film, in this film, Film, (laughs) in this pinky out film uh in this movie you know maybe the father had really just thrown himself into his work maybe his life was just his work and his son and you know there really is fear for the kid to like leave his dad alone for the first time and um when really you just want to make sure that they're okay you know you're not worried that you're not worried that they're gonna like not go grocery shopping or forget how to, you know, lock their doors. It's, it's mostly, you know, are they going to be okay? You know, just mentally, are they going to be able to be by themselves and not be, you know, super sad and bummed out alone, which is horrible, but yeah. And so I think you really do see that, you know, when, um, what's the dad's name? Tommy, Tommy, when he, is being all broken up and then you know austin the fact that austin has to put his dad out of his misery that's that's really tough but in that moment it was kind of like the true act of love Mm -hmm. you know because you know he saw all the all the pain that she went through so now it's happening to his dad so the best thing for him right now is to just not be here anymore. So I don't know. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. 
Yeah. So I imagine Austin was kind of relatable for you as, you know, trying to be there for the parents. And uh, I'm curious, like, what ways have you been in service to your mom that you didn't think you would have been? Um, we lived together. <laughs> I'm in my 30s and I live with my mother. Um, yeah, it's that is something that I didn't see coming again. You know, it's it was something that was kind of taught to me that like, especially at this point in my life, I should be married with two children and living in the suburbs and all that stuff. And as my life went on that those things weren't happening the way I thought they should or would. And, um, you know, having lost my dad, you know, I, there is still like a, you know, is she okay? Sort of thing when, you know, I'm constantly like thinking about my mom and not constantly thinking about my mom, but often, um, you know, she has wanted to like move out of Wisconsin to like a warmer climate and and always just telling her, no, you're going to hate that because my nephews are here. And as soon as you move away from them, you're going to be mad. But, um, you know, one day she just floated the idea of us, you know, buying a house together. And I was just like, absolutely not. Uh, but then after a couple of years in my last apartment, I was just like, I'm sick of living in an apartment. Um, I would never be able to afford my own house. Um, thank you student debt. Um, and yeah, so like, this was kind of the opportunity for me to like grow up a little bit, you know, I know it sounds kind of opposite of growing up considering I live in a house with my mom, but you know, it's, we've got a really nice setup here. We kind of have our own spaces. Like I have my floor, she has her floor and it's perfect. And is it ideal? No, but it is the best situation both of us could possibly be in at this moment. So, yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of Did that answer your question. I don't remember your question. <laughs> no, it does answer my question. <laughs> And, you know, I feel like now that my brain is fully developed and I'm an adult, I love spending time with my mom. Like we hang out all the time and I feel like it would just blow teenager me's mind. Like, (laughs) yeah, for sure. I, it's, uh, I think, you know, and, and this year also, unfortunately I have, oh boy, uh, I've been to four funerals this year, four funerals from January to May. Um, and two of them were friends, dads and, you know, seeing both my friends who are adults crying at their father's funerals. I mean, they had great relationships with their dads too, but it's kind of like, not surprising, but it's just like, you're an adult, but you do still need your parent. You know, mm-hmm. it's still really nice to have your parent there. Um, and you know, I mean, <laughs> the queen just died and her, what 70 year old sons, like still called her mummy, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. uh, you know, and my dear mummy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it sucks to lose a parent at any age. Um, so yeah, keeping the one that I have left close, I guess is an important thing. 
I, that totally makes sense to me. Like when COVID hit, I wanted to keep my parents like wrapped in cellophane in their home. (laughs) Like you don't go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I, I knew my mom was fine because, you know, at, towards the beginning of the pandemic, she moved in with my grandparents. Her parents are both still alive. Um, and in their early nineties, um, and you know, my grandma was having, uh, she was actually diagnosed with cancer right before, uh, the pandemic (laughs) and she's in immaculate shape. She is. So hopefully the genes pass down somewhere. Um, (laughs) Uh, yeah, I knew my mom would be safe with them because my grandma was constantly going in and out of hospitals. So I knew that they were taking care of their themselves, you know, masking up and, you know, so I, I knew they were in a fairly clean household. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's so good. I feel like too, once you hit yeah. your like, you know, mid to late thirties, early forties, like those relationships, it just, it's crystal clear how important they are. And I'm glad you get to spend all this time with her. Oh yeah. Me too. I mean, I still went with it, uh, in the spring, I got really sick with like a respiratory infection. And the last thing I wanted to do was drive myself to the doctor. And I just called her And I was like, can you just drive me to the doctor? Because also like, I wanted to talk to her about it. You know, she, Mm -hmm. you know, used to work in, in medicine and I wanted her feedback on it. Like, am I just being crazy or is this real? And so, yeah. Parents are cool. They are. Love your parents. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they're dicks, which I know that happens in which case I'm very sorry. Very true. Yeah. I, I, and like final themes that jumped out at me. I think it's when we don't have good boundaries with work, we hurt our loved ones. Uh, accurate, accurate. Um, yeah. I mean, and sometimes I don't know, I've never had the sheriff of a police department telling me that I need to finish my job before a certain time. So maybe there's added pressure there. (laughs) Um, you know, uh, the, um, you know, he was basically the sheriff was pretty much saying that, you know, he has a house full of three dead people. And then this random woman that nobody knows who she is, there's nothing identifying her. And in order to like, continue on with the case and like, tell people what's going on, he needs to know what happened to this Jane Doe. So like, time is of the essence here. And so, yeah, there is that pressure. And I mean, in a small town, there can't be anybody else. So who else is he going to go to, but these guys. Exactly. It just sucks that it had to be them. (laughs) It did. Um, I know that mm, a lot of this movie was kind of gruesome or sad, but Hey, what was your favorite part? My favorite part. Um, Oh, like I said, I like that it, it ended up being a witch. I thought that was pretty cool. I think my favorite part ultimately would have to be the, the performance of Jane Doe. Um, I, I just thought just so effective. Like, like I said, every time they shot to her, they just went to her face. You were just every now and then, like some scenes, her mouth were, was closed. And then in other shots, her mouth was open where it's just like, 
why is her mouth open? But it's just like, oh yeah, they just looked in her mouth. That's why her mouth is open. And it's like, and you're waiting for a blink. You're waiting for like a, like a move of the eye. And it's, yeah, that woman, she just did an impeccable job. Just so, 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 so good. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. She was amazing. I will say though, my favorite part was the corpse with the bell in the hallway. It, ah, it was so scary. It freaked me out. That I've was, already seen it and it freaked me out watching it again. I will say that was, that is a really great, um, Oh gosh, I don't even know what, it, what it would be called, but yeah, where they they're in the elevator and they think that one of the corpses is coming at them. And then Tommy reaches through with the ax and it just, it comes out of nowhere. You, you think, ah, oh, he's got it. And then it ends up being the girlfriend. It's Emma. And it's just this, it's horrifying where, you know, Austin is obviously heartbroken and Tommy is just like, what have I done? And, you know, at no point, and I'm happy because how could he blame him? At no point, Austin is like, what did you do? You did this. He never gets mad at his dad for killing his girlfriend. He just knows the entire situation is messed up. And mm-hmm. he saw what he, his dad saw. So yeah, it's that, that was a really good, that was a really good kill, but it wasn't supposed oh, to be a kill. So but terrifying. A, yeah. And like, what I'm thinking also is like, oh shit, how are they going to explain this to the sheriff? Like, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. How, how would you even explain it? It's just like, well, I mean, I did kill her, but you know, she was a corpse five seconds before, you know? Um, so, I mean, probably in the end, it was best that they were killed. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. (sighs) So yeah. what, What are your final thoughts on the autopsy of Jane Doe? I feel like this is a movie that not enough people know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really, um, it doesn't really come to people's minds when you think of great horror movies. And I mean, is it perfect? No, but is it really good? And I feel a very um, unique film. I, I really do. I think it's the cast is all great. Um, the guy who plays the sheriff kills me because he was he was total asshole in game of thrones um like one of the big villains so it was crazy to like see him as a cop um oh that's no No, but he's like responsible but he's one of the guys that helps make the red wedding happen which is like one of the worst things that ever happened in game of thrones um but anyways um, yeah, the cast is incredible. It's, um, it's a great story and it's, yeah, it's a heartbreaking film, which that's hard to recommend to people, but it's a good scare. Um, if you've never seen it, watch it with the lights out, watch it with somebody. No, like, <laughs> no, like, I mean, you can watch it alone, but I know if you watch it with somebody, it's fun to like bounce it off other people. Like, what was that? Did you see that? What was that? Did you hear that? Like it was, yeah. I think the first time I watched it was with, uh, my ex-boyfriend and yeah, that was always a good watch because yeah, that's, it's a good movie to watch with somebody else. Nice. That sounds fun. That sounds like a fun date night for everybody. Yeah. Because I get scared when I'm alone. (laughs) 
Uh, so Caitlin, what are you excited about? What's coming up that you want to tell us about? Um, honestly, we're just, oh, hey, not honestly. I completely forgot. I'm really good at my job. Uh, the Milwaukee Comedy Festival is coming up in Ooh. October. Um, October 2nd through the 9th. Um, we've got, I think, seven different venues over eight days our festival headliner is Lori Kilmartin who I'm super excited to work with Uh um she has experience with dead parents Uh which her book is amazing I'm excited yeah I I I bought the book on Amazon don't judge me Mm -hmm. uh and then it got lost in the mail Uh, so I have to I might just go to a bookstore and buy it (laughs) remember bookstores kids um so yeah the Milwaukee Comedy Festival is coming up yeah uh, if you are interested in more information about that or tickets, uh, you can go to mkecomedyfest.com. Um, also, somebody else who's coming to the Comedy Fest, uh, Luke Null, who he was on Saturday Night Live for, I think, just a season. Terribly underused in SNL. He is very, very talented. We did a show with him a couple of years ago at the Underground Collaborative. Such a nice dude. Like, really, really funny. I'm not a huge fan of musical comedians, but he like is a really good writer, really great guitar player. And you can understand what he's saying when he's singing and it, that helps. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he's headlining one of our nights and I realized, and without even thinking about this, we gave our shows like titles this year. And I, um, knowingly or unknowingly, I still don't know Um, his show, I called it Saturday night laughs. And I wasn't even thinking that it was like SNL adjacent, you know, (laughs) I hope he's not mad about that, but who knows, but yeah. And then obviously we've got the laughing tap here in Milwaukee, uh, laughingtap.com. We've got really awesome people coming up. Um, you know, we've got Andy Woodhull this weekend. I don't know when this is going to probably the first week of October. First week of October. Okay. So in October, we've got the comedy festival and we've got Rachel Mack, um, who was in LA is now back home in Wisconsin. She's recording an album with Mm. us, which is totally awesome. And then we've got Zach Martina and Steve Gillespie coming back. So, and then, yeah, we're already booking out into 2023 and we've got some amazing people some of the bigger names that we have when we first opened are coming back too, which is very exciting. Yay. Congrats. Yeah. It's such a fun club. Everybody go check it out. Thank you. Cool. Well, thank you so much for doing the podcast. That's been Bloody Mary. I've been Kristen Lighty. Have a good night. Mm -hmm.